If you want to know what is really happening in the world today, you need to read the Parsha HaShavua, the weekly Torah reading. Join Rabbi Mendel Lipska for the next hour as he delves and enumerates the themes running through the weekly Torah Parsha, only on 101.9 High FM. And a wonderful Erev Shabbos to all of you, and a great Erev Shabbos to all of you. Many of you think it's a time of great difficulty, and in many ways it is, but it's also a time of great, great spiritual opportunity. It's a time of hope. It's a time of blessing. It's a time of intense joy. It's a time that each and every one of us wake up every morning, and we should say with a full heart, Moda Ani, to thank God for all that He gives us, to wake up and to see the day is an opportunity to live life to the fullest. It's a time that each and every one of us should recognize and realize that something great is happening and that we're living at a time that we can participate in this greatness. We can participate in this incredible opportunity that Hashem has laid out for us. And today, of course, is an important day. It's the 14th day of Adar Harishon, of the first Adar. And being that it's the 14th, it's Purim Katan, translated simply, the small Purim. But the word the small Purim doesn't really describe it well, because the small Purim makes it sound like the poor brother of the big Purim, and it's anything but. Yes, of course, it doesn't have the fanfare, the excitement, the sense of celebration that the big Purim has. But there is something about Purim Katan that is powerful, that is energetic, and something that we have to take advantage of. Our sages tell us it's not an obligation, but it's a custom that we celebrate Purim Katan in interesting ways. We don't say Tachanun during the prayers, no eulogies are allowed. There are those that have an extra meal, a festive meal on this day. There are those that do special things to commemorate the fact that it's Purim Katan. However, there are those who also say that in the Talmud it's referred to as the Purim of the first Adar. And the way it's described in the Talmud, they say, seems to suggest that it's first and therefore has a power that enables us to fulfill the second Purim, the full Purim, in a greater and more proper way. We've been talking quite a bit about the extra month of Adar, Shnasa Ibor, the leap year, when each and every one of us is given the opportunity to reach extraordinary heights, to do something that we can't normally do in a regular year. It's Shnata Ibur, it's a pregnant year. It's filled with extra dimensions of life, of hope, of greatness. We have the extra month. It's filled with the higher dimensions of Teshuvah, of repentance, of return. When we have the extra month of Adar, it's the reconciliation of the sun and the moon. And reconciliation is always a symbol of something that brings about completion, wholeness, something that was lacking before. And when we have a leap here, as the very word seems to suggest, leap, moving forward, not only by walking or by running, but by leaping, going far beyond normal opportunity of forward movement. 
And therefore, when we have Purim Katan, there is a first in it, an opportunity to leap, an opportunity to take this so-called small or young Purim and to use it in a way that enables us to somehow extract from this year, from this Adar, something that gives us added energy in extraordinary measure and enables us to enter into the second Adar and to celebrate the ultimate Purim in the fullest sense of the word. What are the four mitzvot of Purim? We hear the Megillah being read. We give presents of food to friends, neighbors. We give presents of charity to those in need. And we also have a festive meal. There are those who do have a festive meal on Purim Katan. We don't give Mishloach Monot, we don't give presents of food, but that would seem to suggest that there is another dimension, giving to others. And as expressed so often, the act of giving, the act of sharing, is something which enables us to become greater. As mentioned a couple of weeks ago, the act of giving, as expressed in last week's parsha of Truma, Truma has two translations, giving and uplifting, because every act of giving uplifts one, both the giver and the one who receives. The act of giving indicates unity, and unity indicates greatness. Indeed, when Moshe appeals to God to forgive the Jews for the terrible sin of the golden calf, what does he say? This will make God greater. And all the commentaries ask the obvious question, make God greater? God is perfect. How can you add greatness to that which is absolutely perfect? And yet that's what Moshe says. Why? Because by God giving the Jewish people the opportunity of forgiveness, this makes God greater. I'm not going to go into the theology of what it means. But the fact that even when God gives us something, it brings about greatness within the divine. How much more so when we give to each other. And it's a time of giving. Because this is what the time demands right now. In a world of darkness, in a world of anger, in a world of conflict, in a world where there is so much unnecessary, hate. We have to become symbols of goodness, of giving, of upliftment. We give to each other. We look to each other. Whether it's friend or perhaps even foe sometimes, we continue giving. We are not going to listen to those who want to bring out the worst in us. We are going to teach others and bring out the best in them. And of course, we have to look around and to recognize those who are truly in need and to extend to them what they truly need. We can't ignore those who need because those who need depend on us. And then of course, what's the story of the Megillah? The story of the Megillah 
there was one evil man who wanted to destroy the entire Jewish people in one day. And what happened? God foiled his plan. Despite his every effort, he was almost successful. And to the last moment, everyone thought he would be successful. But he wasn't. Because Am Yisrael is Netzach, eternal. And that eternity is part of our legacy. And we have to rejoice in that. So even though it's Purim Katan, it doesn't mean it's small. It means that we have to search a little bit harder and to find the relevance of the Purim Mitzvot today in Purim Katan. More of that soon. This is the Pasha HaShavua with Rabbi Mendel Lipska, only on 101.9 High FM. But let's take a look at the Parsha for a moment, and that will give us an insight, that will give us a map, a spiritual map, of how to find the inner dimension of Purim Katan. The Parsha is Tetzava, and Tetzava is a unique Parsha. It's the only Parsha since the birth of Moshe, where his name is not mentioned. And as we've often discussed, the reason his name is not mentioned is because when God wanted to punish the people, Moshe says, well, if you're going to do that, then you may as well erase me from your book. And when a righteous man at Tzadik says something, it has to be fulfilled, and it was fulfilled within the context of this Parsha. His name is not mentioned. And although our commentaries point out that even though his name is not mentioned, his presence is felt in a far greater dimension because God is speaking to him directly. Throughout the entire Torah, we hear God speaking to him in the third person, and God spoke to Moses, whereas here it says, and you will instruct. He's speaking to him directly, which is a far greater and far closer interaction between God and Moshe, but that's a different discussion. What we're talking about over here is the fact that his name is not mentioned. And yet, in the absence of his name, his presence is felt in far greater measure. And this is something which is important for us to understand, that sometimes the less obvious, the greater the presence of something. You know, you've often heard this saying that his silence speaks volumes and how true that is. Sometimes when a person says something, well, it's said, but sometimes when a person is silent, one senses far greater wisdom, sometimes by not speaking, a greater statement has been made. The Megillah, the book of Esther, Megillat Esther, has a certain parallel to that. Because in the Megillah, as we well know, the name of God is not mentioned. The name of God, out of the 24 books of the Tanakh, of the Torah, it's the only book where the name of God is not mentioned. What's that all about? And how does that parallel the Parsha of the week where the name of Moshe is not mentioned? Last week and this week and in the coming weeks, what we talk about is the Mishkan. 
how it was built, its dimensions, the vessels, all the products that were necessary in order to build this magnificent structure in the wilderness and how this became the model for the Bet HaMikdash, for the holy temple that was ultimately built in Yerushalayim, Jerusalem, by Solomon and later on by those who returned from Bovel from Babylon. And how does Hashem actually instruct the people to do it? He says, You shall make for me a sanctuary, and I will dwell among you. What does that mean? The world is a dark place. And the very word world means distortion, hiddenness. When we look at the world, we don't see godliness. We see a natural order. We see a presence that hides the identity of God. That's what the world is all about. It's not a world of truth. It's not a world of clarity. It's not a world that reflects the beauty and truth about God as creator. It's a world that distorts the presence of God. We can fool ourselves into thinking, and many have over the, over the centuries. This one believes in, well, there was a crash once upon a time and the world came into being. This one believes in evolution that a couple of molecules got together and ultimately mutated into what we see as the world. Whatever it is, they see some sort of natural phenomenon that brought the world into being. They don't see God as creator of heaven and earth. Slowly and surely, more and more people do. But for hundreds, if not thousands of years, people didn't. Because the world doesn't naturally reveal the presence of God. What does Hashem say? I will make a place, a space, by you building this Mishkan, by you building this Mikdash, there will be a place upon earth where my presence will be revealed in its entirety, in its absolutely clear and revealed manner. The presence of God will be seen. In the Mishkan, in the Mikdash, you will see the revealed presence of God. Yes, the entire world will still be a place of distortion and hiddenness. But in the Mishkan, in the tabernacle, in the Mishkash, ultimately in the Holy Temple, there will be the revealed presence of God. And that's one way where the presence of God can be seen and felt. And that's why at the time of the Mishkan, the people saw and felt it. At the time of the Mikdash, the Holy Temple, the obligation of making the pilgrimage three times a year. And it says they came to see and be seen. They came to see the presence of God. But then the Temple was destroyed. And the people went into exile. What is exile? Exile is that we no longer had a place, a space, a holy temple where the revealed presence of God 
exist. Now one begins to wonder, does that mean that the revealed presence of God was no more? It didn't exist anymore? And the answer is, there are two ways to recognize the presence of God. One, of course, is through the revealed dimension of godliness within the Mishkan, within the temple. The other, the other is through the ultimate, the ultimate method of Hashgacha Pratit. Hashgacha Pratit is divine, individual revelation. And that's the story of the Megillah. That's the story of the book of Esther. God's name is not mentioned. But the story itself, as it unfolds, step by step, detail by detail, one begins to see the hand of God. One begins to see the presence of God who directs each and every single dimension of his creation. Haman, Haman was a rising star in the court of Achashverosh. He had the ear of the king. He had the power of the king. He had the right to ultimately destroy the entire Jewish people in one day. And everyone felt all was lost. But there was Mordechai, and there was Esther. And they did what they had to do. And through an incredible, incredible miracle, all of that changed. And not only were the Jewish people saved, but Haman and his sons and his henchmen were all destroyed. But if you follow the story carefully, you see divine intervention step by step, Hashgacha Pratit, divine individual intervention. And this is something that each and every one of us has to see in their own lives, in our own lives. No, we don't have the revealed presence of God as it was in the Mishka or in the Migdash, in the tabernacle or in the holy temple. But we do have Hashgacha Pratit. We have divine individual revelation. But only if we choose to recognize it, if we choose to see it. If we blind ourselves to the story as it develops in our own life, if we choose not to see the obvious in our own lives from day to day, then of course, we won't see the presence of God. But we can recognize and see the divine presence if we choose to recognize Hashgacha Pratit, divine intervention in our own lives. And this is available to each and every one of us. And this is something which the Book of Esther teaches us. 
In fact, the name Esther, the Gemara asks, what is the root of the word Esther in the Torah? And it says, where God says, I will hide my face. But hide doesn't mean I'm hiding it permanently and it'll never be seen, but it will come about in a different sort of way. The revelation will come about in a different sort of way. This is the experience of revelation within the exile experience. Hashgacha pratit, to see the hand of God on a daily basis within each and every single act of life that we go through, within each and every single experience of life that we go through. And I assure you, if we choose to see it with honesty and with clarity, we'll see the presence of God, very much like the Parsha of the week Tetzava. The name of Moshe might not be mentioned, but we feel his presence in far greater measure than in many of the parshiot where his name is mentioned. You, Moshe, you will instruct, you will do this. The very word you tells us precisely who Moshe is and what he has to accomplish. The very absence of God's name in the Megillah is something which tells us that Hashem is there in far greater measure. But we have to find him by recognizing, not in the obvious, but in the less obvious. And this is something which brings out a deeper sense of faith. And this is why today, today being, well, not the small Purim, but the Purim of the first Adar, this is the energy of the day. This is something which inspires, which inspires us to recognize divine individual providence. We look at our lives, where we come from, the step-by-step journey that we've gone through and that we go through and that we're going to continue along. And everything points to the recognition of God. And when we look at the world today, God forbid we can, well, become somewhat depressed at what we see on a very, very shallow, obvious level. But if we look deeper, if we look deeper, hope, confidence, fortitude, strength, miracles, power, joy, and victory. More of that soon. This is the Pasha Hashavua with Rabbi Mendel Lipska, only on 101.9 High FM. So we're talking about how to recognize God through, well, not revelation as such, but through divine providence. And this is where the Parsha comes and gives us additional insight and strength because the bulk of the Parsha speaks about the garments of the Kohanim of the priests and while of course the priests were a small group within the Jewish people at the time and ultimately nonetheless the Jewish people are referred to as Mamlechet Kohanim kingdom of priests where each and every one of us has the potential of spiritually 
spiritually becoming a priest in a sense. And therefore the garments are so important to each and every one of us. And one thinks, what's so important about a garment? What's so important about the external, external dimensions of a human being, of a person? After all, isn't it internal? Isn't it how we think or how we feel that's important, not what we wear? And yet we learn from this Parsha that yes, what we wear, how we choose to be identified by those around us, makes such a deep impression not only on those around us, but ultimately on ourselves as well. And this is why, in fact, it's one of the three things by which the Israelites merited the actual exodus from Egypt. They didn't change their names throughout the entire exile in Egypt. They didn't change their language, and they didn't change their garments. And this is something, again, which is so important in our day and age. How do we appear to others, and how do we appear to ourselves? Are we ashamed of appearing as Jews through our garments? Are we ashamed of appearing to ourselves as Jews through our garments? The Kohanim had very specific garments. Each one had a purpose. No time to talk about the purpose of each one. But each garment had a very powerful purpose. Jewishly as well. Each garment has a purpose. Our mystics talk to us about the garments of the soul. Garments of the soul are thought, speech, and action. Thought, speech, and action is the way that we communicate with ourselves, thought, and others. Speech and action. How do we communicate with others? How do we appear to others? What do we think about within ourselves? How do we speak to others? And what are our actions? Is our speech Jewishly correct? Are our actions Jewishly correct? Do our actions reflect a legacy, a history of Jewishness, of something that we heard at Sinai? Does our speech reflect words that we heard at Sinai? What we think about, do they reflect a divine truth? And this is why this Parsha that teaches us how to recognize godliness within the hidden through divine providence and not necessarily through revelation talks to it about garments. When we appear properly, when our garments are correct, then we begin to be seen properly and we begin to see things properly as well. The internal and the external interact. This is what a human being is all about. Our wholeness is not within or only without. We become whole when there is an interaction and relationship with our inner dimensions and our outer appearance. Yes, this is why modesty plays such an important role in Jewish life. 
because how we appear to others and to ourselves is so very important. This is the parish where Moshe's name is not mentioned. The Megillah, the book of Esther, is where God's name is not mentioned because those ideas indicate to us how to recognize the true revelation of God which is contained within the hidden. And this is why we have to train ourselves to make sure that our garments, our external appearance, our language, our thoughts, our actions are correct. Today is Purim Katan. Purim Katan, yes, it's called small Purim, but it's not small in the sense that it's small. It's small because it's a preparation for the other Purim. We should use this day correctly. Tomorrow is Shushan Purim, Katan. So when you're in Shul tomorrow, listen to the portion that's being read. Listen to how the Torah describes each and every single one of the garments that the Kohanim, the priests wore. Each and every single one of the garments that developed another dimension of the appearance of these holy men. Listen to how the Torah describes the fabrics, the threads, how they were put together, how each and every single one of these items played such an important role in the development of these holy people. It's a special Shabbos. Make it special. You won't hear the name of Moshe being mentioned but if you listen carefully, he's there all the time. If you hear with your inner ear, it's a special Shabbos. Listen carefully. And as I always say, listen to that part which speaks to you individually and personally. Have a good Shabbos.